You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Today with myself, Raza, and brother Daniel, the weekend is nigh, it is Friday, and you're listening to The Voice of Islam live here from our London studios in the first half of the program, as usual. We're going to start off with the first topic, and that is about food security. We're going to take a look at the current situation. What has led to the current circumstances to this food crisis that we are in? We're going to take a look at the UK recession and, of course, how Islam addresses the challenges of food security and if there is a solution or not. And then in the second half of the program, we're going to talk about a very interesting topic, and that is about parenting. And in this regard, we're asking you a question on our opinion poll on uh, Instagram. So go to our Instagram story, Voice of Islam UK. The question is, should parents and children see each other as friends? There's so many self-help books and uh, and videos and, and experts out there who have a different approach on parenting. But what does that look like? That's that uh, relationship that you, that we should have, actually, with our children and what are some of the do's and don'ts how can we be um, in that situation where we can say yeah well i think we've done a good job all of this coming up in the next half of the program brother daniel assalamu alaikum to you wa alaikum assalam thank you very much for having me again it's always always a pleasure to have you, you on um we we dearly missed you yesterday uh, last week well last week you kicked me out I would never dare such thing Uh, (laughs) All right, now in the first half of as I said we're going to take a look at food security global food security and this is again not something only affecting us here at home in the UK but it's a global problem and that is severely affected due to the recent events as we've got just come out of the pandemic, uh, the different conflicts that are happening around the world, and of course, global warming. And there is an urgent need to build a sustainable system that allows everyone to access nutritional food. So in 2021, an alarming 193 million people experienced high acute food insecurity requiring humanitarian assistance for their survival. And uh, as I said, this is something that we're going to be talking about in this half of the program. And there's a number of guests that we have invited. So do stay tuned. Right. So what is food insecurity? A person is food insecure when they lack regular access to enough safe and nutritious food for normal growth and development and an active and healthy lifestyle. This may be due to the unavailability of food and a lack of resources to obtain food. The new head of United Nations Agricultural Finance Fund, Alvario Lerio, talks about the momentous task he has ahead of him. He explained how the current food crisis exacerbated by the war in Ukraine could become worse again unless world leaders addressed Mm. decades of underinvestment in how food was grown and delivered he warned. He said hundreds of billions of dollars needed to be directed towards small farms by investing in water and soil conservation, offering low interest loans, access to markets and boosting productivity. Global food prices reached their highest levels Recorded in March after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, while they have since dropped, they still remain 8% higher than a year ago. When was the last time you went shopping? 
Uh, yesterday. How, how does that? How does that look? Yeah, like? absolutely. I, I, I think eight uh, percent is a figure that I think would be normalized for many things. I, I, it's much much higher than that when a you lot. go out and yeah. shop for your regular milk or butter or or whatever it is that you need. Uh, it's definitely a lot higher than that. So speaking about these basic necessities, I mean, how many times have we gone to the the local shop or the shop around the corner just to get milk, cheese, and eggs? Uh, or bread, even for that matter, and 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 the these the soaring prices of these three main items. Let's just take milk, cheese, and eggs. That has pushed inflation to its highest level for 14 years. So you have the shocking prices that are forcing people to change their diets, which means people are opting for cheaper food, which, as we know, is often unhealthy and, of course, processed. If you look at fresh food products, they cost around a, a record 12.1% more hmm. than just last year. So we're not talking about 14 years. We're talking about last year, up from 10 10.5% in August, which is the highest rate for that category on record. Now, inflation for some staples such as pasta and tinned tomatoes, that has reached a record of 8.6%, up from 78 a month previously. So the fastest rate of increase for that category. So the pri- these prices, they, they pose a huge challenge for the people here in the UK. You will have seen that some supermarkets have, um, in, in, in this whole race, I mean, of course, we have on one side the fuel prices where you have certain companies making billions and billions. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you will have certain companies which I mean, mainly provide um, uh, food items that have said that we will not be part of this. Mm. We will uh, have those cuts. We will live with whatever it is, you know, the deficit that we have maybe in a quarter or in that year. But we we, we are not, we're, we're refusing to, to increase the prices. I think Waitrose was one of those um, companies that gave a bonus to their employees and they also said that we're not going to raise the price. That was, was in the yeah, news, that, I think, that, a week or two weeks that's, ago. Uh, because of wait- waitress clientele, I don't know, you probably no, shop no. <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I, I, Once I, a year, maybe. I go to Asda and Little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, why don't we go to our, our first sure. guest, uh, who is Rob Percival, the head of food and health policy at S- the Soil Association. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Uh, so, Rob, uh, tell us a little bit about Soil Association. What what work uh, does Soil Association do? We campaign for healthy and sustainable food and farming. Um, We work with um, farmers, many of whom are organic farmers, and then we work all the way across the the food system, trying to make sure that the really good food is available to everyone. And that includes working with school caterers and and schools through our Food for Life program, um, which is uh, operating around the country, trying to get um, children out onto farms, um, learning how to cook and grow food, and making sure that the food on the plate is, is healthy and nutritious. What would you then say, given that you are uh, into sustainable um, food production, uh, about companies like Cargill and many others, like uh, three or four others like that? So they, they control, what, 80% of uh, the food business in the world. What would you, what would you say about those five, four or five big uh, conglomerates? So the, the Cargills of the world, yeah. is, that, is that how you mentioned? Yes, well, I'm... I mean, there's a huge concentration of, of power within our, our food system. There are 
four companies that, that dominate grain trade, four big agrochemical companies that um, oversee 60% of the world's seed sales, 75% of pesticide sales, a handful of processors which dominate the meat industry, and it's a really unhealthy way for us to structure our food system. Um, it leads to a corporate consolidation. The little guy gets edged out. We mm. have this highly processed industrialized food. And, and I think if we're going to address the sort of climate cha- um, and nature challenge that's in front of us, we need to be looking at the redistribution of power across the system, putting power back in the hands of the smaller guy, the agroecological farmers, the local businesses and so on. Um, and that's uh, largely what we're trying to do through through much of our work at the Soil Association. So I was reading up um, uh, uh, around sustainability and food production. So there's a there's a sister concern of yours. I shouldn't say sister concern, but a, a, a company or an NGO called Mighty Earth across the mm-hmm. Atlantic. And uh, they run campaigns across the globe also to advocate for sustainable business practices. And according to them, and this is a report that they've written, and I'm, um, I'm quoting uh, Mighty Earth now, they said, Cargill kept showing up when our investigations identified bad actors, whether we were working on palm oil in Southeast Asia, cocoa farming in West Africa, or soy cultivation in South America, Cargill was always there, ready to thwart progress and impede joint conservation efforts. In, in, in that scenario... How hopeful are you? Well, um, I think there absolutely um, is a problem to be addressed here. The, the Mighty Earth investigation into Cargill is really important. In a UK context, Cargill is responsible for uh, lots of the soya bean imports that come into this country. Um, and it's the soya that we import is animal feed. We feed it to pigs and chickens um, uh, and so on. And, and, and there's good reason to think that lots of it's associated with deforestation and damaging land conversion overseas and so on. Um, so it's it's a real challenge, and, and influencing some of these big corporations, it's not just Cargill, it can be very tricky because they're, they're so powerful, they, they dominate the supply chain. And, and so they're on. privately held, so you can't even uh, investigate on a, or, or know what their actual practices are because they kept them very close to their chest. That's right. But what we're trying to do at the Soil Association is support a, a grassroots movement of, of agroecological farmers. So this is nature-friendly farmers who are doing the right thing, who are farming uh, in much more sustainable ways. And we're supporting those farmers to, to find new routes to market through local <coughs> supply chains, getting their produce into schools and hospitals and so on, uh, and, and really focusing on what the positive solutions are. We do need to, uh, better regulation of the big guys, more bold policy from, from government. But, but there's, there's lots of good stuff that we're seeing on the ground at the moment. So, yeah, you sound very optimistic. Uh, let me ask you another slightly harsh question. And I'm being the, de- the devil's advocate here. Please, please try to understand that I'm, I, I'm one of the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, or, or guys like you, guys like even Mighty, Mighty Earth or, um, uh, you know, Soil Association, do you even stand a chance against these mighty corporations? Well, we're not taking on these corporations directly necessarily. necessarily. We're, we're trying to leave a change through a, a whole spectrum of approaches. So, so we do need to, to, to get government on board um, in, in influencing what, what these big guys are doing. We need to work with retailers who then have some buying power down the supply chain. They can prompt uh, some of these big corporations to, to tidy up their act. And, and we, we also work with citizens, people who, who are demanding change. Um, it's obviously a tremendously challenging and, and complicated context. But we're we're very confident that there is a viable alternative. We can see a, a more sustainable future. We're working with farmers and, and caterers and food businesses who who all have a clear understanding of what this looks like and are trying to do the right thing. So we've got our work cut out. But but yes, hmm. I do feel optimistic. Um, Rob, you say that we have a clear vision that every child has a right to do 
to to good wholesome school food and that po- food poverty will one day be a thing of the past now keeping everything in mind when you say that you work with local farmers and then encourage people to go um and 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 and, and buy from your local shops which is sustainably grown and and produced with everything that is happening in the world the energy prices are skyrocketing the current rise in food prices as well uh if you had you know a couple of not even a couple of years ago a couple of months ago as well if you went to the supermarket and let's say the the cooking oil was just over a pound yeah people might have thought okay well i can i can go to my local farmer i can go to my local shop maybe i can get something for i don't know a pound or two pounds more but right now the situation is completely different how do you think that this will be a challenge that you you'll be able to achieve with everything that is happening at the moment yeah you're absolutely right i mean there's so many families who are just struggling to put food on the table at the moment let alone um having the the privilege to 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 sort of shop around at uh for, for some of these high, higher price point um ingredients and so on um and this is a, a huge concern we're we're working um uh in in the context of public procurement hmm. to try and make sure that there's um really good food available to to all children in in schools so through our food for life program we're working with caterers some of whom are in some of the more deprived areas of the country in Oldham and Tower Hamlets and in bits of Leicestershire and so on who are, who are still serving higher welfare meat and organic ingredients and so on um every day, single day to to children in schools and and many of those children that that's the only hot meal they they receive each day and that's the large focus of our work we do need to uh obviously see uh, big structural changes across our socio-economic system we need to make sure everyone has an adequate standard of living which means they can afford um and access better food but schools feel like the real opportunity and that's why we're part of this campaign that's calling for an extension of free school meal eligibility hmm. um the, the, there are 800,000 children today living in poverty who don't have access to a free school meal and and we're calling on the government to 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 make that um eligibility sorry eligibility criteria um more open to those children so that they can access that meal wonderful lastly there rob i want to ask you how can we get involved what do you expect from 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 the public So if if you if you go online and look up feed the future there there's a campaign running right now calling on the government to to address this free school meal issue there's a there's a petition on change.org and which is really quick to do and there's a, an action you can you can write to your MP and demand that these children who who really need a hot school meal uh, are, are given one um so it's feed the future I'd encourage you all to to go online and, and have a look hmm. Wonderful. Rob Percival, thank you very much for joining us today, Head of Food and Health Policy at Soil Association. Thank you so much for your time once again, and you have a great weekend ahead. Thank you. 02086877878 is the number for you to call. The question that arises in all of this is where will it, will it all end? Um, if you notice the first increase, I mean, if it's a few pence you might not even notice it that much but when you go shopping and i think that's the the reason why i asked that question you never notice the prices i mean by the grace of god i mean we live in a society we live in a situation where i think it's okay we it was it was affordable uh, a couple of months ago but then when everything started to rise at such a drastic rate i mean 12.1% 7.8% 10.5 these are not small numbers and right now i think we have again the the most um 
kind of dramatic increase that I have in my mind is is cooking oil. Mm. I it has to do with the war. I, I know, but it's 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 doubled, mm. more than doubled. Absolutely, it has. Yeah, I think you know we've got to also understand here. I mean, we we mentioned the war, but we mentioned the war in passing. Mm. I think we've we've got to look at this globally. And you know, and and that is the I think the Islamic and the Quranic teaching, as far as I understand as well, Imam uh, Imam Reza, you can correct me there. But you've got to look at this in a global context yeah. because we live in a very interconnected world. We do, uh, we are dependent on importing our wheat from uh, from other countries. We're import, we are dependent on importing cooking oil from mm. other countries. So when there are supply chain issues, when there are um, uh, when there are wars, when there's conflict, turmoil. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's time for us, for all of us to start looking globally as far as uh, instead of just looking inward. So mm-hmm. uh, so I agree that, you know, we've, we've, uh, there are th- great things being done in some of the European countries. But, uh, uh, you know, I was uh, talking to somebody um, who's recently been to Africa and um, I, and and he mentioned that, People there, many people in Africa, in some of the poor parts of Africa, are lucky to get one meal a day. Yeah, and that is easy to say than to to live yeah. with every single day. Absolutely. All right. Our next guest for today is a communications associate for London for World Food Program. Nina Valanta is with us on the line. Nina, good afternoon. Peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. The London for, uh, sorry, World Food Program. Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What are your aims? What are your missions? And how is that going so far? So the World Food Program is the world's largest humanitarian agency fighting hunger worldwide. So I'll be able to give a very sort of global perspective. Sure. Uh, we work in a 120 countries and territories and and last year WFP reached 128.2 million people. Um, We saved lives in emergencies so right now we're working in Pakistan um, and responding to the devastating floods there. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're providing food and support to 1.9 million people. Um, We use food assistance to help people recover from conflict, disaster and um, the impact of climate shocks and I think I really wanted to highlight um, a project in Malawi um, around climate where we're supporting um, farmers and their families and providing them with crop insurance so that they can insure their fr- crops against um, oncoming drought. And in 2021, um, when crops failed, 65,000 farmers received um, cash payouts from this insurance. And this helped them feed their families and it avoided them um, having to take drastic measures such as um, selling their livestock um, to pay for food, which would then sort of further impact their uh, coping mechanisms going forward. Um, I think in a world of plenty um, where there's enough food produced to feed Mm. everybody on this planet, um, it's our mission and to feed, uh, to make sure that nobody goes hungry. It's unconscionable. Nobody should have to go uh, hungry when there's enough food produced um, for everybody. So uh, your mission statement reads, um, uh, committed to end hunger, achieve food security and improved nutrition by 2030, um, where one in nine people worldwide still do not have enough to eat. Would, 
how do you think you're doing? I mean, it's an, it's an absolutely um, enormous mountain to climb, I'm sure. I mean, uh, looking at the what's happened recently, um, you mentioned the conflict in Ukraine. We've also seen uh, climate shocks, um, the impact of COVID-19 and the spiralling cost of food, um, which is really playing its part in pushing millions closer to starvation. So the 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 progress that we have been making really has been sort of rolled back by these sort of most recent um, crises and issues. If we take the the climate crisis, this is one of the leading uh, causes of the current unprecedented rise in global hunger. And in the Horn of Africa, that's Somalia, Kenya and Ethiopia, um, they're facing a fourth failed rainy season this year. Um, and forecasts are indicating that um, there's a risk that the October-December rainy season could fall, uh, could fail as well. Um, and the UN's warning that um, if action isn't taken, um, Somalia could face famine. Uh, and that's a, a devastating sort of impact on, on the country, which we've already seen um, terrible images mm. of um, people that are having to travel long distances to m- move away from the sort of devastating uh, drought conditions, um, having to take family and losing children on the way. It really is um, a devastating uh, consequence of, of, of the, um, this, these cli- kind of climate shocks. And I think that the drought is also, it's really exacerbated um, by things like conflict and the socioeconomic implications of COVID-19. Um, and then if we, we look at conflict, um, 60% of the world's hungry people um, live in zones affected by conflict. And I think the war in Ukraine, which you, you mentioned earlier, um, has really transformed um, a country which you know used to be known as the breadbasket of U- Europe into a country that's now um, actually needs food assistance itself. Um, but this conflict, it's not just um, on Ukraine itself. It's actually radiating outwards, um, as it calls unparalleled in global food and energy market markets. And um, it's it's impacting food prices. We've seen food and fuel increasing. Um, and WFP is seriously concerned that for the world's most vulnerable people, as as these prices have hit uh, and have remained at a 10-year high. I think in in many of the countries that WFP works, acute hunger is expected to rise um, if this conflict in in Ukraine continues. Um, And this is when, you know, the world's not fully recovered from the impact of COVID, um, the COVID-19 pandemic. And that leads us in a really difficult um, place to cope with these other crises. Um, Soaring food prices not only impacts the people we serve, families um, who are unable to afford even a basic meal, um, but they're also impacting the people that are really on the edge of hunger, um, whose impacts have been hit by the pandemic. Um, And I think, you know, as you mentioned before, we've really seen that in the in the UK with the cost of living crisis. But we also need to consider that um, for people in the UK, it's estimated that about six to 10% of their household income is spent on food. But in um, East Africa, for example, it's more like 40 to 60%. Hmm. So when food prices increase, this has a really huge impact um, on families. So the choice between 
um, sort of weight rose or, or little, it's, it's just not there. <laughs> sure. Now, Nina, I, I truly appreciate that. Uh, as uh, somebody working in the communications department of the World Food Programme, you have one of the most difficult jobs uh, in the UK right now. So um, while truly appreciating that and, and giving you the uh, uh, <laughs> some leverage, um, let me... Uh, you know, just before you came um, online, I was talking to my colleague about uh, this other person that I know who's been to Africa uh, in the last few years. Actually, that was just before the pandemic. And, and the country that uh, he was in wasn't uh, the Horn of African countries or, or uh, any country which was uh, uh, which was uh, overtaken by strife. Uh, that's Gambia. And he mentioned that uh, this is back in 2019, before the pandemic, that, you know, people were... A, a getting one meal a day was a treat for them. So, given that, um, do you think the World Food Programme is failing? I mean, we have so many um, operations, and it's interesting that you're speaking about one meal a day. Um, one of our programmes is School Meals, where we work um, globally. Um, with governments wherever possible. WFP is actually the biggest provider of um, school meals. And it's, school meals are a really important safety net for um, communities to make sure that um, children are getting just at least one healthy and nutritious day. Um, and we've also found that the impact of school meals has been huge. We, you know, children that may have been staying at home um, to help their family with chores or with their farm, their parents are actually encouraging them to go to school because it's one less meal that um, they have to uh, cover the cost of. And it also, you know, we all know the benefits of children going to school and being able to finish um, primary and, and senior school. It results in um, children having sort of better socio and economic uh, opportunities and hopefully breaking that cycle of. Um, climate uh, of, of poverty mm. um, but I also wanted to sort of indicate a really big um, challenge for WFP which we're facing and you know we talked about the huge number of acutely hungry people in the world and this unprecedented need um, rise in needs um, but funding for humanitarian organizations like WFP is simply not um, growing with those needs and, and we're 100% reliant on on funding from our, mm -hmm. our donors. And so what is happening is that we're seeing a widening of the resource gap um, as we're, and this is posing a real risk um, that needs may soon outstrip um, our ability to respond. Um, and this is at a time when inflation is driving up our operational costs because of course, you know, we have to buy things like um, cooking oil and, and grain and with the global markets as they are, those costs are in, increasing. So it, it is a struggle and, yeah. you know, we urgently need a, a step change um, in support to help us deliver to these people in, in, in you know, on the brinks of... Sure. Um, Nina, do you, do you have... Uh, do you know the, um, the total number? What's the size of the World Food Programme's global programme? So, in terms of um, the, the total number, of the total amount of funding you get um, in a year. So, the funding needs for this year are 
I mean, uh, 24 billion. So right. that is what we need to be able to uh, meet the requirements to feed the, um, right. the number of people that are currently hungry globally. And mm. that is, I mean, it's an astronomical amount mm. of money. And this is why, you know, we heavily rely on definite on um, governments and, and urge them to support the needs of yeah. the most, most vulnerable. So I know Brother Daniel is making some calculations. I know the question, there's a question coming up. In, in the meantime, if you allow, <laughs> I, I have a question. In the, When the Syria conflict was happening, um, people were talking about refugees. People were talking about when uh, these refugees came over to Europe. Governments were talking about how to accommodate them, what to do with them, how many are you know b- being taken by different governments around the, the the continent or around the world even. But nobody looked at the source. How can we manage? How what can we do? for to to avoid them even having to make that step in the first place because nobody wants to leave their country nobody wants to leave their home that they grew up in and that they love when it comes to the food insecurity when it comes to uh global food production i know that there you know, as you said we live in a world of plenty where does the problem lie and why don't we address that problem? Why don't we go to the source and talk about what can be changed, what needs to be changed at the source instead of, um, I mean, it's it's a noble task, no, no doubt about that, uh, feeding people around the world, giving them access to that food or the, the you know, school children, that one hot meal that they get. But aren't we addressing the wrong side of the of the snake, if I if I can say that. Nina, can I answer that question for you? <laughs> <laughs> let, let me put you out of your misery. So, <laughs> so you know, one answer that you said, what what is it that you that we need to do? What's the right thing to do here? And um, and Nina, you were earlier mentioning that twenty four billion is an astronomical figure. So I just googled. You know what's what's the size of the U.S. defense budget? Around, around that, maybe. <laughs> it's seven hundred seventy eight billion a oh year. Oh my god, dollars. <laughs> The size of UK's defense budget is 48 billion. 48 billion. Yeah. I think we just need to make a few bombs, few less bombs a year and <laughs> and we can give that money to to WFP. Yeah, no doubt. That's that's one answer. Go ahead, Nina. Yeah, I mean peace is absolutely um a priority and and creating the right com- uh, conditions for peace is important for for WFP. Um I think in so what it, the World Food Programs work in that area. Um, WFP was actually awarded the um, Nobel Peace Prize, um, and and that just shows the impact that um, food can have. Because mm-hmm. um, if communities have the food that they 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 need, there's no reason um, to um, migrate. But yeah. you know, if there is that conflict, then unfortunately it can be unavoidable. Um, and we we work currently in. Um, in Lebanon, who hosts the sort of largest number of refugees from from Syria, and there's been a, a terrible economic crisis there. So, you know, we're not only supporting refugees from Syria, but also the Lebanese population, um, which has seen a, a huge increase in um, food prices. In in fact, um, since October 2019, food prices have 
risen by a thousand percent, if you can imagine. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree with the the foundations for for peace. Um, as I said earlier, you know, um, conflict is. We're seeing that um, you know, sixty uh, percent of the yeah. world's hungry yeah. are, are in areas which are conflict affected. Last difficult question, uh, <laughs> you know, before we let you have a great weekend, is. Um, uh, uh, one criticism that is made, I, I, you know, and before that, let me uh, let me caveat that question by saying that I, I know World Food Program, work very closely with World Food Program in, in even countries like uh, uh, like Afghanistan uh, and and some others. So, I know the great work that uh, you guys do. But one criticism that is leveled against uh, WFP is that it's very bureaucratic. How would you respond to that? Um, I mean, it's a huge organization, obviously. Um, but I think my experience of our operations in the field is that we're very nimble and able to respond to respond to um, emergencies, and that's something that we've um, seen in in Pakistan most recently um, with the floods. And that's where it, it, it really matters is when we can um, respond directly and get the food um, to the places that are needed most. Um, because of the size of our operations, I mentioned before, 126, 120 countries and territories, we also have a, a, a huge logistics mm. infrastructure. Uh, and, you know, that takes some, some managing. But where WFP is the logistics backbone of the humanitarian world, um, you know, there's many places in the world that you can't actually get to uh, without going on a flight, uh, an unhasped flight, which is actually supported by... Um, WFP. And in fact, during the um, the COVID um, uh, um, pandemic, when there weren't very many sort of planes flying, you know, people weren't going on holidays. But the biggest airline was uh, Unhas, which was actually flying and 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 reaching the most vulnerable people. So, yeah, we're a big organisation, but we get the job done, and we can only do that with uh, with our amazing amazing staff on the ground. Wonderful. Nina Volante, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you very much for answering our question. and uh, All the difficult questions. All yes. the difficult questions, of course. And that too on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Great to have thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye. Okay. 0208687787800 billion. Are you serious? 778. Oh, almost 800 billion. 800 billion. One year. Wow. 48 billion UK. Wow. And they're just these are just two countries. I mean, yeah, if you look at other other industrialized countries, uh, we can add many more billions. Well, that's that's a few more billions indeed. Mm. All right, now um, looking at solutions, the way of actually tackling poverty, of tackling food insecurity, of tackling the financing of food systems needs always to start with this long term rural transformation and bringing small scale producers to the table. This is from the UN, United Nations Agricultural Finance Fund, the head of the UN's Agriculture Finance Fund, Alvaro Lario. Now, the government claims that the UK is largely self-sufficient in wheat, most meats, eggs, and some sectors of vegetable production. Sectors like soft fruit have seen a trend towards greater self-sufficiency in recent years with an extended UK season displacing imports. Overall, for the food that we can produce in the UK, we produce around 75% of what we consume. And 
That has been broadly stable for the past 20 years and in this food strategy. The government accepts, however, that agricultural commodities are linked to global gas prices, which is definitely now a cause of concern. And as a result, the government claims to have a long-term plan. And the plan is to create a food system that offers access to healthy and sustainable food for all. It will complement the measures that have previously been practiced and taken to support those struggling to afford food and help them eat healthily through the uh, Healthy Start scheme, breakfast clubs and the holiday activities and fruit program. And I think there's a few more as well. But again, is that going to be something where we can say in five years, well, seven years time now, according to the WFP, 2030, Seven years left? Yeah, seven Eight years, years left. Se- seven years. Not a long time. Where we look back and say, well, there was something called food poverty. There was something called food insecurity. That's I hope so. Like, let, let's hope and pray that yeah. that is the case. But uh, things are definitely not in favor of all the work that these NGOs are doing. Mm-hmm. Our next guest for today is the CEO of, P- of PECAN since 2011. Chris Price is going to be with us. He was previously uh, working at... Uh, Previous to working at Picani, he held a senior post in various charities working in recycling, health, and also children's welfare. Chris, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Uh, Good afternoon. It's really lovely to be here. Great to have you on. Now, Chris, I want to ask you about the Southwark Food Bank. Um, Tell us a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, certainly. So, Southwark Food Bank is a project that's hosted by Pecan. We've been running this since um, a few months before I started, so um, over 11 years now that it's been operating in, in Pecan. We work to serve the whole of Southwark as a food bank, part of the Trussell Trust network of food banks across the country. When we set up, we thought we would be feeding about um, 400 or so people each year, just some people who were really struggling at that time. So we weren't looking at it being a big project. And in the height of the pandemic, that had grown to nearly 20,000. Wow. So we had seen year upon year of growth of people needing food. And for us, that was a real struggle. You know, we, we got there. We're still seeing very high numbers at the moment. And our numbers this year are growing um, against last year as well. Um, but the main aim of it is actually not to be around. Mm-hmm. We really don't want to see people struggling to get food, people being food insecure. And our our aim is to have a country where food banks are no longer needed because that's the only way we can really help people to move forward. Now, you say that you are a community charity committed to uplifting our local community through kindness, belief and hope. And I mean, it's it's a it's a great motto, no doubt about that. Something that we've seen during the pandemic, that people show their kindness, people show that there is hope that we can come out of this together, and we are in this together, and we can, we must, not can, must help each other. Absolutely. But is is that something that should be limited to times of times of uh, times of need, times of tragedy, times of you know the, the two three years that we've gone through? No, there are so many different ways that we can help people and you know i really firmly believe that the voluntary sector especially the community voluntary sector should be sitting on you know what's traditionally called the poverty line working with people who have really hit that bottom point where welfare is looking after them and help people up and really help to empower people to grow them in their confidence to grow them in their skills 
to grow them in ability to actually get on with life again and move up from from that. So moving from an idea of you know survival to thriving, that's the role of the voluntary sector. As we come together, we support people in a hard time and we move them up. Unfortunately, what we're seeing with food banks is that we provide that support around people. If people just come to a food bank or a food aid provider and get food, then actually they're not getting enough as we're just keeping people in their situation. Hmm. So we provide advice and support to people. We help them to look at their, their finances, their benefits, their mental well-being as well, to try and move them up. But sadly, we're sitting underneath that poverty line now. And what we're doing is helping to just get people to the poverty line so they can sustain rather than giving them that ability to thrive. And that's the real difference that, that needs to be made is we need something that just stops people from falling below the poverty yeah. line. Now, when you said that in the beginning you were hoping and you were thinking that we're going to cater for 400, roughly 400 people, and then that number grew to, what was it, 20,000 plus? Um, yeah. And and looking at the current economic situation as well, I know food banks, they rely on donations. Has has that economic situation, has that had that, any any impact on, on the number of donations that you receive or, or not? We have an absolutely amazing general public. Hmm. And especially here in Southwark, I'm very biased towards them as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we do get our donations are coming through, but we see that our stocks are low. You know, and what, mm. what we're trying to do as part of the Trussell Trust is ensure that people have enough food for at least three days that they can get three meals a day out of that. So really it's nine meals per person that we're providing um, when, whenever people come in. So it's quite a lot of food. Quite regularly when people come in to us, they are amazed by the amount of food they're walking away with afterwards. Mm. But we can see that our, our stocks are getting low. Um, because people are struggling to donate at the moment. Chris, do you have a sense of uh, the amount of food wastage that takes place in this country? If we just uh, looked at, for example, restaurants, do you have a sense of what amount of food is wasted every day? The amount of food that is wasted is between about a quarter and a third of the food produced in the country. Wow. Wow. It's it's absolutely stunning. Now, some of that is, you know, wasted because it's, you know, it comes from the farm and not all of it is, um, you know, good food. You know, it might have rotted already. But some of it is, you know, um, a lot of the supermarket bakeries, whenever we want to go into the supermarket, we always want to see a choice of food. Mm. And at the end of the day, they have to have a choice of food for people at the end of the day as well as at the beginning. If that food has then gone stale overnight, which predominantly it will, that is part of the waste stream, and that goes. Um, you know, there's a lot of food that gets ordered through to, you know, different places, and it is not used. People are over-ordering to make sure they have, you know, a breadth of choice available. Hmm. Some of that food through the waste system there, or, or through the surplus system, does come through to amazing organisations such as City Harvest, um, Felix Project and um, fair share, and they're able to distribute that, but they're just touching the surface of the food that is really wasted. Um, and it's a real problem with our society, is the amount of food that is you know, wasted, that's produced, and all that effort has gone into it, but it's not you know, 
gone gone through there sadly again you're looking at I'm a bit of a numbers man so if you just look at some numbers here so the population in the UK is is 67 million you you said about a third of the food uh, produced in the country is wasted so a third of that is about 22 million so you essentially we can we could feed another 22 million people if we save or, or 12 or 11 million people, mm. if we just saved half of the waste, the food that is actually wasted. Yeah. I mean, the, the numbers yeah, are just staggering. Yeah. It, it is. We, it we, is we can feed probably the whole of Africa <laughs> if we just if don't waste it in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure we can. But we can easily make sure there is good, healthy, nutritious food available for everyone. Yes. Yeah, so this idea that we can't. Um, get free school meals into schools mm. you know and into all schools well the food's there we mm. just need to think differently so, about so Chris, how we what, deal with it what more needs to be done to control food wastage in this country um, we need to look at a lot of our food supply systems um, some of it also we need to look at as people who buy food some of our attitudes towards food as well you know we do we need to buy everything do we need that total uh, range of um, choice as well. If you look at the way that some of the um, cut price supermarkets, you know, the Lidl's and the um, Aldi's have come into the market, their choice is so much more limited in the shops. But Aldi's now one of the top four um, supermarkets in the country. Mm. So we can change and we need to change and we need to look at our, our attitudes to food. But also we need to think, actually, if we know some of this food is going to go into a surplus supply, we rather than you know, the charities having to go around and um, trying to find out how we get that food, etc. There needs to be a system from the supermarkets to say, actually, we have to divert this, you know, and, and it needs to be part of their system to say, either we're not going to overproduce or we have to pay to divert it and get that out to the charities rather than the charities coming around and just getting everything for free all the time. You know, it, that means that a lot of the supermarkets and they're not paying for that to go into waste. Hmm. Right. And they're, they're making money out of it. <laughs> Chris, thank you very much for coming onto the show mm. uh, and, and talking about the challenges. A really insightful discussion. Have a great weekend. Lovely. And yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much. So that was Chris Price, who is the CEO of PECAN. Let me go straight to Carly Schutz, uh, who is the last guest for this segment, who uh, works in uh, Food Cycle. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. Warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about Food Cycle. Yeah, so uh, basically it was really interesting listening to your last guest actually. Um, So Food Cycle um, takes surplus food, so from the charities that Chris uh, just mentioned Mm. um, and and other supermarkets, and a team of volunteers turn it into a nutritious three-course meal for anyone who needs it to kind of come along. Uh, And we operate all over the country so we are currently in 60 different locations um, and we're open for anyone to come and share a meal with us for, for whatever reason they might need a meal whether they're struggling money-wise or maybe they want to come for company um, yeah we're, we're open to anyone to come and enjoy a really nutritious meal with us. So which supermarkets are you currently working with? So we work with uh, a huge variety. So we also work with uh, the food distribution charities that Chris mentioned. So City Harvest, uh, Fair Share, etc. 
Um, and then on a local level, um, we might work with individual supermarkets. That, that can be anything from, you know, all the big name, all the big name ones to mm. really small kind of little uh, local <coughs> grocers as well. Um, so we build up that local network within that community. Um, and that's where we get our food from. So, uh, Carly, what is your take on the amount of food that is wasted every day? Uh, I mean, it's incredible. I think I think we're getting better. I think there's a lot more education around it. I mean, there's some amazing kind of organisations and chefs out there that are coming up with creative ideas on, you know, from a from a household perspective on how to use use up your leftovers and smart and shop a bit smarter. And certainly, some of the people that we see that use our services and our volunteers are really really savvy when it comes to things like that and not overbuying and because firstly they can't afford to. Um, so I think we are getting better. But we know, as Chris touched on as well, there is an awful lot of food out there that is still going to waste and there is still an awful lot more that, that we can do about that. Right. Uh, do you think uh, we are doing enough to stop wastages uh, in places like restaurants? Uh, I think restaurants is a slightly kind of trickier one um, and we, we don't work necessarily with restaurants. We right. work more with kind of supermarkets and those suppliers because we need uh, uncooked food, I guess. That's, right. that's the other thing, right. or unprepared food. Um, but I would imagine, I think in all areas of kind of food uh, usage and distribution, I think there can be um, improvement. I mean, we are, I think there's quite a shift at the moment as well. So where they've taken, um, supermarkets have taken away the best before dates as well. I think that's kind of changing things a bit better. And I think around education for, for people as well, realising that they don't, there used to be a lot of fear around those kind of dates. Oh, I can't use that banana because it's got this best before date. When actually most of the time, as long as you kind of, checking it, it it's you know it's fine to facility um so i think there's lots going on but like i said i think there's definitely lots more that can be done there's a number of um <clears throat> warm hubs uh, that are going to pop up in this coming winter based on the energy crisis where people from the local communities mostly you know the senior population will have a chance to have a warm place where they can shut off their heating at homes and maybe save um uh, the pound here and there in regards to that, are you expecting a higher volume of people to food cycle uh, hub, uh, hubs as you know this, this, this cost of living is going to increase? And if so, which I'm guessing that will be the case, how, how will you ensure that you can provide a meal to all, all those people that will um, join you? Yeah, so I mean, we've already seen an increase in the people using our services. Uh, and actually, I think the warm, the warm spaces idea is absolutely lovely. It, it's something that we've kind of been doing for, you know, since 2009. Mm. So um, our meals are, because it's a three-course sit-down meal, this is what kind of sets us apart from kind of soup kitchens or food banks, is we do actually provide that warm space yeah. already. So um, it's a service that luckily our guests are very used to. Um, and that's what we're hearing now is that's not... They used to come for just the food or the company, and now actually it's an extra thing that actually it's another two hours that they don't have to turn their heating on. Um, so I think that's going to, it's definitely going to grow in you know the numbers of people that we're going to see. We're already seeing some of our venues at capacity. Um, and what we will just keep doing is we will keep cooking every week as, as we do. We will keep providing food and we'll keep serving as many people as our venues will allow us to seat. Um, we are looking at other options, um, but unfortunately we can only operate to a certain capacity. But we will just keep cooking, we keep monitoring the situation every week, um, and we'll, we'll adapt um, in any way we can to try and make sure we can support as many people as possible. Wonderful. 
Now, thank you very much for joining us today, Carly. It was great to talk to you and, uh, you know, wonderful work that you're doing out there. I did check it out. Maybe I'll, I'll just pop by one day and have a look at this uh, for myself. Definitely. Yeah, Do. Like every, we, our motto is every, everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter your background or your reason yeah. for coming. Our doors are open. So, uh, yeah, do do come down, check us out, and, and see what's going on. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time. Have a great weekend ahead. Thank you. And you. Thank you. Bye. 0208687 In all of this, <clears throat> Brother Danny, I was wondering what, when you talk about food wastage, when, for example, me as a parent, uh, one one way is uh, that you tell them about, okay, this is not good. It's just not good to waste food. Mm. But then you also add this, that you should be grateful for food. Mm. You know, this, this moral uh, element, this uh, faith element that mm. God has provided this for you. You should not be ungrateful. You shouldn't play with it. You shouldn't throw it. And you shouldn't waste it in general. Mm. Do people realize that? Is that something that you still use as, you know, to explain to the next generation why we shouldn't do that? You know what? That's that's an excellent question, and it's it so nicely dovetails into our next topic, which is Oof, parenting. Yeah. So so why don't we we talk about uh, this? Answer this question a little bit more, and I'll give you my take. I'll give you sure. what I do at home and 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 how I deal with that. Uh, with my kids and all of that you cannot miss you must not miss that's coming up in the second half of the program don't forget we're asking you a question on uh, Instagram so go to Voice of Islam UK and that question is in regards to the second topic should parents and children see each other as friends yes or no but of course as always if you want to have your say if you want to send us a comment you're more than welcome to do so uh, either on Instagram or at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter um, as well as on Facebook if you want to email us you can email us as well and you can of course call us 0208687 so in the next half of the program we're going to be talking about parenting and what exactly that is we're going to talk about parenting styles we're going to talk about permissive parenting developing poor self-control the notion of friends and many many other things around that issue so do stay tuned you are listening to the draft time show here on the voice of islam today with myself raza and brother daniel in the next uh, after 20 seconds the five o'clock news are going to be um played and then we are going to be right back with you uh don't go anywhere stay with us you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the draft. I'm sure Jazakallah, thank you very much for staying with us. In the book, The Narcissism, Narcissism Epidemic, authors Jean Twench and uh, Keith Campbell note that parents contribute to the problem when they try to befriend their kids. That's because parents who style themselves as buddies may find it hard to enforce rules and standards so join us in this part of the program as we talk about parenting and if it is a good idea to be their friends and that's exactly the same question that we're asking you on instagram so go to instagram story should parents and children see each other as friends yes or no right so um yeah i think this is an interesting one so should we be befriending our kids or not i think uh, I think it's just right. Uh, it just sounds logically right to mm. to bef- to befriend your kids. Uh, but yeah, being a buddy, I don't know. There, there's 
uh, there's always got to be, I think, the balance between yeah. uh, befriending and uh, well, I wouldn't, I, 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 I would rather become a buddy than than not becoming a buddy. Yeah, and yeah. yes, I'm I'm the parent as well, but only when when it needs to be when I need to be the parent. I think the 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 term friendship or just the concept of friendship is something different for everyone mm. right? and I think uh, and and I know I'm going to get in trouble for this one maybe male and men and women they mm. also have a different perspective on what friendship is if you have that one good friend I mean this is probably what we want to do with our children that you get a call two o'clock in the morning from your friend mm. you know you have that inner circle of friends they call you into the middle of nowhere. You will go without questions. Do you have a friend like that? Of course. You have to have a friend like that. You, you, you must. I mean, that's... Lucky you. you, you you're missing out. I'm that friend for you. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. I remember that. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no worries. Uh, call me anytime for anything. And I think it, 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 that, that's something that you want to, to have with, with your child, that it's a, a, a relationship of, of mutual respect. Yeah, you, of course, you have your jabs here and there. You, you joke around and all of these things. But the fact that you have this reliability and this, this uh, relationship of trust, this relationship based on, on, on love for the sake of you know, the qualities and the attributes that that person has, um, and that's something ideal. I mean, I remember there's a narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that you should you should tell someone that you love them for the sake of God Almighty. If that if if you have such a person based on the qualities, based on the good things that that friend brings to the table, hmm. then you should you should tell that person. And I, you know, as as I said, I'm I'm fortunate enough to have some of those friends, which which is is a great blessing. It's a huge blessing. I'm telling you, it is a huge blessing, absolutely. And all the words you used, uh, you know, trust, love, respect uh, between you and um, and the kids are absolutely the right ones. Uh, it, but also on this on the, on, uh, on the topic of being friends with kids, yeah, yeah, I I would, you know, in the world we live in, in this complex world we live in. Uh, were there challenges and and issues at every step? Hmm. Um, I would rather be the friend that they yeah. that they need advice from. I would rather be the person, the go-to person for yeah, them, yeah. as opposed to them <clears throat> seeking uh, advice from uh, you know from from outside sources, which could or couldn't be reliable. So I would very much want to be uh, that friend. Going back to the question you asked me uh, before going on to the break, and we were, we were talking about the food issue and the wastage of mm. uh, of food. You know, it, it reminds me of a tradition of the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he said that you must clean your plate yeah. every time you have a meal. And I think that's the message that all parents must must give their children. And and you know, I I don't want to sound like um, uh, um, uh, a torchbearer of um, uh, of of all that's good here, but um, I, I do try to inculcate that mm. in in my family and my kids. And and you know, wastage of food in my household is an absolute no no. It's it's yeah. totally looked down upon. It's frowned upon. It's something which is. Um, uh, which is totally stopped. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, when 
when one of my kids, one of you know my younger daughter who's who's eight now, you know when she would leave a little bit of milk, um, mm. you know we would tell her to to finish, uh, you know the milk in the bottle or milk in the glass or where that was because, you know people would die to get yeah, that yeah. particular sip, um, in some parts of the world and similarly you know if there's food on on the plate, so I think yeah we 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 heard what. Uh, Mr. Price talking about, uh, you know, food wastage earlier. A third of food consumed in this country alone is wasted. I mean, mm. just look at the, the the staggering number of the, that, that problem, the size of that problem. I mean, that's 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 enough food for 22 million yeah. people. Yeah, and it comes and down. And it comes down to every family. Yeah. And and what? How is that family run? It's run by the parents. Mm-hmm. It's run by the teachings, and it's run by the ideologies, or not ideology, but but the 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 character of those children that the parents are responsible for. So if you have, I mean, look, even if you have um, affluence, it doesn't mean that like you need to waste. That yeah, you need yeah, to waste exactly. And I think that's 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 what. In, in today's day and, and age. Especially for you. I mean, if you're going to Waitrose, I, I would strongly <laughs> advise you not to waste any food uh, you buy from Waitrose. This is going to haunt me for the rest of my life, isn't it? <laughs> I go to Little and I can waste a little bit and that's okay. But, you know, Waitrose food, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Even the last sip, of course. But I think that that's that's uh, that's what it is. And I think when, when it comes to parenting, look, when we think back how our parents did did their job as, mm. as parents and how we are trying to deal with this change, ever-changing society. I don't believe that there is a, a, a single way, a single form that works. I was listening last night, uh, there's a few clips that I saw online when these parent coaches or whatever they call themselves they were giving different methods and different ideas if you have a stubborn child, if you mm. have this kind of child, if you have that kind of child. Um, but if you would to apply the same, the same methods to, to yourself when you were a child, those things would mm. probably not have worked. They would have worked, but I think they, the, the caliber of people that you would have pr- produced would be different. So every every generation has their different ways of, of, of teaching. But I think when we look at, for example, the teachings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, there are certain things that are universal, mm-hmm. certain things that were applied 1,400 years ago that can be applied today as they will be applicable in, in, in 2,000 years or whatever time we have on this in this world. And those are based on mutual respect. Those are based on honesty. Those are based on truth. And those are based on that connection that they and the parents should have with each other. And when he said that inculcate the the best manners in in your children, inculcate respect, that was not a one-way street. Mm. It was Mm. a two-sided way. It was a two-sided relationship. If we expect to be shown that respect by, by our children, then... You should do the same. Yeah, absolutely. You know, no, I think you you know these universal values of of trust, love, respect, kindness. Uh, I think goes without saying. You mm. you've got to uh, you've got to inculcate uh, and bequeath that that to the next generation. Uh, but on uh, what we were discussing earlier, yes, yeah, so it's a no brainer for me that. Uh, we should be our kids' yeah, friends. Yeah, and I think that's something that His Holiness has said as well. 
the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, yeah. the founder, the current caliph of the Yemeni Muslim community. In many of the question answer sessions that he's had with parents, when specifically parents of you know the Vakfino, the 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 devotees of the of the community, mm-hmm. that you you need to have that relationship with with your children. You know, it, it reminds me of. Um um, uh, of an incident from the life of uh, the Promised Messiah, um, who was the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, um, and and that was about um, a small stone that was actually given to him by his uh-huh. son, who, who later on became the second caliph uh-huh. of the community. And uh, you know, he he was a little boy, and he gave uh, this small stone uh, for safekeeping hmm. to the Promised Messiah, and he just immediately put it in his uh, in his side pocket. Uh, and then obviously forgot about it. A few days later, he developed a pain on you know on that yeah, side yeah. of his body. And uh, when somebody came to actually look at that, he, he said, "Well, there's a stone on <laughs> on <laughs> in the pocket." And he 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 obviously calmly took out this and oh yes, Mahmud gave me that stone. Yeah. I forgot to take that out. Very nice. Yeah. I mean that that shows the amount of love and respect that that uh, such a great example of yeah. love and respect that we all need to show our our kids a small stone but he kept it both out of love and and respect that you know this is my child it's given and I need to keep it and one thing that I've noticed in, in, in this world is the lack of patience the lack of patience is not just with this and I think it's it's with every single aspect in our lives when it comes to the relationship between husband and wife when it comes to the relationship that you have with your children when it comes to the relationship that we have with each other I mean the lack of patience nowadays leads to so many issues so many problems there's a reason why uh <laughs> when 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 the holy quran talks about when you want to solve certain problems when you have you know a predicament it says that and seek help with patience and with prayer it didn't say and seek help with prayer and then with patience although we know how much importance we give to prayer you know this this actually is now getting worse unfortunately oh, yeah. with this culture and social media it must have had some role to play in that this whole culture of instant gratification yeah yeah that now kids have you know you've posted something you want a reply you want likes you want you want response and and similarly with everything else like that um uh, you ordered it and and you want it now and here and and uh, you know tomorrow is too late for that uh, so you remember when youtube started yeah, I do. Did you have 30-second videos? There were no 30-second no. videos. No. There were no 20-second yeah. videos. You had proper videos, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes. Mm. So you you were watching proper videos. Right. Nowadays, when you have shorts, when you have the likes of TikTok, which mm. were limited to, I don't know, 40 seconds, 50 seconds, a minute, maximum a minute. So this instant, instant when you say instant gratification, it's not just about... Has somebody liked my post or has not? It's just about, I just want to get it out there. Yeah. Without thinking exactly. what it is. I just want to get it out. So it's it's out there in the open and it has to be quick. And if you don't attract someone in the first 10, 15 seconds, you've lost them. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you said. It's happening in the world. We are basically mimicking our social online online behavior in our social lives, in our real life. So if you don't get that connection, if you don't have 5G everywhere, anytime, every time, you lose patience. If the in- <laughs> Today, in traffic, this is v- completely off, to- off topic, but uh, maybe there's a connection to this. <clears throat> there was a person behind me. 
and I'm stuck. We're stuck in traffic. There's a very famous road that leads from Croydon to 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 Morden, and there's pretty much every time you go there, there's traffic. Now there's twenty five cars ahead of me, and there's a roundabout, and I know those cars are in front of me. There's no way I can go from the side, or anything. so I I just kept a gap, so I didn't want to break every right. couple of you know sure. meters. And uh, funny enough, I was high beam from the back. <laughs> Why are you not moving? Why are you not moving? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I won't be able to fly. Yeah, If exactly. I even speed up, I have to break. <laughs> you're going to have to break. The 50 cars behind you, they will have to break. So it's going to be a chain reaction. Yeah. No patience. I don't know where that person was trying to go. I mean, even that, it was a new car, but I, I mm. doubt that he would be able to, to fly over mm. me. But the lack of patience. <laughs> Let me give you another example of that. Actually, this is from another country. So what you saw was was still, I would say, um, still a lot better. I, I wouldn't say civilized, uh, a lot better than what I experienced. I'll guess the country. That, that, yeah, that's yeah, going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be very easy for you to guess, but I wouldn't name it. Yeah, so I was uh, I was traveling, um, and exactly the same thing happened. So uh, you know, a one way. Uh, 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 one way traffic yeah. uh, or one lane uh, on each side and um, a long queue of cars and the, uh, the traffic was obviously stopped uh, for, uh, for a reason there was uh, there was uh, some work going on, on you know uh, I think a mile or so on and this guy comes right from the back and he just bypasses all the traffic <laughs> and goes and parks right in the front can you believe that you know it takes and and blocks the other side it blocks the other side and then obviously the whole thing is not yeah. blocked because the the traffic from the other side cannot yeah. come in and i you know what perhaps i shouldn't be saying that on live but i lost patience <laughs> <laughs> we're all humans I, yeah i mean this it's incredible how what people can do and and that moron then realized yeah. that you know that he would actually result in a complete shutdown a complete shutdown the little bit that was blowing is complete down <laughs> exactly it, was, it would take longer for him to get to wherever he was trying to get <laughs> well at least he got to the front of the road yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right the promise messiah the founder of the amnia muslim community in one place states the trial surrounding children is a great trial indeed If the children are righteous then why should one worry God almighty himself states God himself becomes the friend and protector of the righteous Before we go on to the different parenting styles we're going to talk to our first guest for today who's a teacher Mara Farooq is with us on the line Assalamu alaikum good afternoon and welcome to the draft time show Mara Assalamu alaikum jazakallah Thank you very much for joining us today How important can I ask you is it to make your child's interest your interest because we've seen that um yeah we try to play with our children we try to go down to that level where we're interested in let's say i don't know i, I don't have a daughter but you know barbie dolls and and mm. tea sets and whatnot i have three of them so you, you, so you know the tea yeah. sets by heart um but when it comes to i don't know the, the different things that our children are interested in um and and to genuinely get give them that feeling that yes i am fully with you i'm fully on board with the things that you're interested in yes uh, that's a good question um and um considering the generation gap between the parents and the children i've noticed that you know with the passage of time it's got bigger because we are still young parents but there's so much that the children know and they pick up and it's so fast that we have to really try to keep up and it's very important i think as a mother to have the same interest or try to know 
and get to know the interests of your children. Um, because otherwise you can't be on the same level, on the same page. You, well, having the same interest is one thing and um, knowing what they're up to is also another. Mm. And you will get to know that when, you know, when you find out what kind of music, for example, they listen to, what kind of um, TikTok videos are they watching. Yeah. Um, they have a huge impact on the children's life and behavior. And um, you need to be interested in these things instead of like just cutting them off and, you know, um, and telling them you can't do this. They will do it secretly. Yeah. So it's very important that you do show interest so you can get to know what their behavior, when they are behaving like that, where it's coming from. Only then, after knowing the interests of your children and being on the same level, can you then guide them between the right and wrong. You can't just put your foot down and say no without knowing where it's coming from and what they are learning, because they will still do it. Um, they All children have mobile phones, they're at school, they have friends, so they are picking up a lot. So it's very important to know that. And belonging to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, they work and strive so hard for arranging these annual gatherings and the ishtamas that we have, you know, the ones to yeah. uh, for the upbringing of their um, of the, you know, spiritual faith, um, and they try to uh, put such devices and things out there which might be of interest to them of that age, and they will learn as well at the same time. There's cooking, there's master chef for boys as well now I hear, hmm. and um, the kind of activities that they do. There's football. They they pay a huge emphasis. They lay a huge emphasis on sport as well. You can't just keep on educating, educating, educating and have no fun. Yeah. And even I've noticed a trend that now they have burger and chips instead of the traditional um, <laughs> lentils and rice. So they are trying to find out what their interests are and that's what the parents are should be doing as well. And it's very important. Ms. Farooq, where do you stand on the debate that we shouldn't, uh, we should befriend our kids but not become their buddies? Yes, there is a fine line between being buddies and being uh, friends, you know. I believe parents can be good friends with them, um, but you can't be buddies because sometimes you have to put your foot down and tell them the danger of what they're up to. If I was a buddy, maybe I would try that with them, but being a parent, I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I, I know what's best for them and I will have to say no. Um, son, daughter, that this is not right for you, but maybe you can do it in a friendly manner. But yes, I do believe you can't be buddies because being buddies is like going to the same place which they probably really want to go to, which is not safe for them. And there's a reason for that, you know. I also believe you have to nip the evil in the bud. You have to put a stop to the something, the bad, evil thing from the beginning. You can't say, try it out and then you will see. No, as a parent, there's a few things you just have to say no to so there is a fine line and you have to be very careful and for first and foremost is prayers they do work Mm. miracles you have to keep praying for them eventually eventually you will get there it's not easy there's no guidebook and there's no formula for best parenting so every child is different as well never compare your children and just Mm. take each day as it goes no um, the question that I had was um, in 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 this regard about being just being a parent in the first place. I'm not sure, Daniel, how you see this, but um, when when uh, Sister Mara mentioned that sometimes you have to put your foot down, some people will will raise their eyebrows. I mean, authority? Are you going to show authority to your children? Mm. Who are you, the parent? (laughs) (laughs) How difficult or how easy is it for for, for parents to be parents these days with these values and and qualities that, that, you know, 
as I might sound old here, very old, uh, that we grew up with? Well, you know what? You know your child at the end of the day. And you know there's judgments in every field. Being a wife, being a mother, being a daughter-in-law, being a sister, everyone will throw something back at you either way. Um, so honestly, I would just say to all the parents out there, you know your child and you know how you're bringing them up. So I would not listen to any criticism hmm. um, coming from you. You have to be that strong. If you yeah. are that strong, you will make a strong child. A strong mother, Wonderful. strong father will make a strong <clears throat> child. And you know what? You can give them choices in other things. For example, you can let them choose their clothes. You can let them choose their books. You can have, you can give them that confidence. But there's certain things that you really have to tell them um, no, full stop. Hmm. But there's other things you can let it, let them go with. Um, you can let them go with other other sorts of behaviour in school. Maybe they've done something they haven't given their homework in on time. Um, don't judge them all the time. You know, hmm. uh, do give them choices. I mean, I mean, don't don't plan everything out for them, but look out for them. Wonderful. Sister Mara Farooq, Jazakallah, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Great to have you on. And uh, thank you very much once again. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much. Awesome. Um, 0208-687-7878. What do you think about this? Uh, should friends be, uh, should friends be, should parents be friends with their children or should they not? Uh, how has your experience been? would love to hear from you 0208687-7878 parenting style was first defined by Diane Baumrind who proposed a new system for classifying parents her idea was to focus on the way parents attempted to control their kids she recognized three major approaches to parental control which is permissive parents uh, that are reluctant to impose rules and standards preferring to let their kids regulate themselves then you had authoritarian demand, um, authoritarian but that demand a sort of blind obedience from their children. And then you had authoritative parents. They take a different, more moderate approach that emphasizes setting high standards, being nurturing and responsive, um, and showing respect for children as independent, rational beings. Now, the authoritative parents, they expect um, maturity and cooperation, and they offer children lots of emotional support. So what's the main difference between authoritative parenting from permissive parenting? You have limit setting. You have um, the exercises of power. You have, when you look at authoritative parent, they aim to inspire cooperation by fostering positive feelings and teaching kids the reasons for the rules. So there's different approaches. But what I meant by when I asked the question to Sisimara is you have parenting styles that are being defined all of a sudden. Then you as a parent... Don't you ask yourself, okay, where do I fit into this? What, what? So basically, you're bombarded. You're being told with things that you're doing wrong all the time because you're comparing your parenting styles to things. Okay, this is how it should be done, but you're doing it wrong. Let me add another layer of complexity to what, what oh, you said. Sorry about that. <laughs> that was not the plan. <laughs> and that is that uh, every child is different as well. Sure. So, you know, you, you cannot, there isn't a one size fits all formula. So, sure. you know, you can be, you can try to be a certain kind of parent, but then you probably also need to be a different kind of parent for every child. Yeah. You, different children have different needs and different children have different personalities yeah. and you need to t- uh, treat them differently. So, um, so I think, yeah, it's, uh, it is absolutely a challenge. And I think, uh, Promise Masai did mention that somewhere, uh, that, uh, it's, it, it this is, uh, I think he, like his words exactly it's a trial surrounding children um, and it's it's a great trial in, indeed yeah, yeah. that you that you're able to raise children uh, as as virtuous and righteous children as um, as you would 
like them to be. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's. Um, uh, and as promised, Messiah again, you know the, the remedy that he gives is that it's it's all about praise at the end of the day. And mm. he he writes um, uh, that uh, there isn't a single prayer of mine in which I do not pray for my friends, children, and wife. And I'm telling you, this is this is the key. This is it. This is it. Um, ha- at one point, you just have to. I mean, if it is a complicated relationship, if it is a complicated child, then. There is nothing that you can do except to pray. And believe you me, if you if you do it the right way, if you have that conviction, if you have that belief in the power of prayer, it, it, it can move mountains. And I mean, we're still talking about children, yeah. although they can be mountains as well. Yeah. Speaking about the promised Messiah, he states, If a person states that he longs for a virtuous and pious progeny which shall serve faith, which indeed is a great desire to have, However, this will merely be a claim unless he makes an effort to improve his own condition. The Promised Messiah on whom we peace states that moral training and prayers for this must be our top priority. And as you said, he prays for his children, he prays for his uh, wife, he prays for his friends as well. He also say that if they are not stopped about, you know, speaking about children making mistakes in early childhood, he says that if they are not stopped in their childhood and guided with love during their early years, then gradually they will increase in their Ill, uh, in their ill actions. In another place, he says that it is also important to teach them about their faith. It should not be the case that they are completely occupied in pursuit of their secular education and worldly endeavors, and thus parents do not pay any attention to teach them about their faith and nor make any arrangements for them to be taught. It is extremely important to teach them about their faith and their beliefs. And it couldn't be more befitting than it is now. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the, the three parenting styles uh, mm-hmm. that uh, are defined by Diane Bomerind. Uh, so there is um, permissive parents that are reluctant to impose rules and standards and preferring to let the kids regulate themselves. Uh, authoritarian, uh, they demand a sort of blind obedience from their children. I, I, I don't know if authoritarian uh, parents exist in, or, or can <laughs> exist or survive in, in this day and age, but there you go. Um, and then there is authoritative parents uh, who take a different, more moderate approach uh, that emphasizes setting high standards, being nurtured, uh, uh, preferring nurturing uh, and be responsive um, and showing respect uh, to their children. <clears throat> Where do you stand um, among these three styles? Uh, so again, I I I am on that uh, all Between. three of them. It's a mix, probably, of all sure. three. But in certain things, maybe yeah. not so much that that blind obedience, which I think we gave on that <laughs> gave up on that long time ago. <laughs> but it does it now. Nah, that it, that that stuff just simple simply doesn't work. Um, and even if it works for a little bit, how how long can you drag that out? One day will come where things will turn quite ugly and you don't want that. Exactly. So you want to preempt that. But I think one thing that that we've learned in when it comes to these different styles at home, you have to adapt. I mean, every mm-hmm. year was different. You Your youngest one is, what, eight? Yeah. My oldest one is six. Yeah. So I'm still... In, in that process of finding out mm. and uh, the first one is completely completely different from the second one yeah. the second one is a handful mm. which is the case with, with with a lot of kids and, and a lot of parents so you're wait until the second one becomes the middle one <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll know what a handful is 
<laughs> yeah, that that's a <laughs> good prospect. Um, so it's it's different. I I don't think uh, th- th- this reminds me of what the what the second caliph of the Amni Muslim community, Hazrat Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed, said about, uh, or I think it was the the fourth caliph about government systems. You. It all depends on the time. It all depends on mm. how are you, the, the people that you're applying those rules and regulations mm. on. So in some some parts and some eras of, of human human uh, history, you will find that maybe communism will work. Mm. And some parts you will find that democracy will work. But you cannot pinpoint that this is the ultimate right and this is the only solution and this is the only way that will work. And I think that's for every parent to find out. And and in some um, sometimes, indeed, um, uh, um, kings and queens, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and you know that worked as well for for a long time. In, well, we in still history. have it, but it's it's a changed exactly arrangement now, isn't it? Our next guest for today, we are going to talk to. Um, uh, Sister Muflia Ahmed, who's a doctoral student in education. Assalamu alaikum, good afternoon, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Wa alaikum salam. How's everyone at Drive Time today? Uh, Alhamdulillah. Thank you very much for asking. Um, Sister Muflia, why is it important to be a friend to your child as they grow up? And do you believe that we should be friends with them? Um, I think that there should be a certain level of friendship with children. Um uh, with your own children, obviously. And, and that is so that they're able to comfortably come to you for anything. Because I think if we are too much um, of an authoritarian parent, then sometimes children cannot express um, their feelings or opinions or even ask questions that they, you know, have a burning desire to ask. Um, children are naturally inquisitive. And if we don't have a friendship with them, then they can't be comfortable and open with us. Um, likewise, I don't think that we should act as friends. Um, we are still parents as well, so there has to be some boundaries of respect um, and of mutual respect, respect for the child as well, um, to be present for an effective parenting uh, to be done. Do you think uh, um, employing the good cop, bad cop strategy is a, is, is a good one? Um, uh, if you're raising a young family? Trust, trust me, the father is always the bad cop, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Not always. I think moms can also of be course, bad cops. I know was, equally as well. I, I know some families where mom is the one that's the strict one and the dads yeah. are the soft ones. I think the tables are turning on this now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think um, to a certain extent, but again, obviously, if you... Any any um, kind of approach applied solely can have its drawbacks. So I think a mixture a mixed approach is is good. Yeah, a mixed approach as long as you're able to inculcate the the kind of discipline you mm. need to. Yes, yes. Um, Mufi, how how much impact we and we spoke about the lack of patience. We spoke about how how uh, social media has impacted. The, the world and the world that we live in, but specifically when when it comes to the next generation, how much impact do you think has social media had on 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 today's generation? I think social media has an, has a huge impact. 
um, on children. I mean, you know, just recently we've heard of um, uh, that teenager yeah. who committed suicide and they they finalised that Instagram and social media had a massive uh, role to play in that suicide and she was able to um, access content which was which shouldn't have been available to her, um, shouldn't be available to anybody, uh, mm. let alone a child. Um, so I think social media is huge. There definitely there aren't any at the moment. There aren't any restraints or any kind of training or uh, kind of safeguarding um, aspect of uh, mobile phones and social media kind of addressed anywhere. And even parents can sometimes or they'll keep the kids busy. They can be off my head. Stop hmm. asking me questions. Stop you know kind of here you go and kind of you can you know you, that's your world and I'm on my phone and you're on your phone and we're all kind of a happy phone family. Um, and it can, you know, and that, that is what's happening. I mean, even if you look at the recent E advert, um, it's encouraging the whole family to be on phones on a yeah. dining table. And yeah, that kind of approach is wrong and it, it can be because children are able to judge um, what kind of um, media they're accessing, what kind of material it is. They don't know whether it's wrong or right. Sometimes they take everything that they read on the internet to be true and they haven't ha- they haven't learned yet whether to recognize how to effectively judge a piece of um, uh, article that they read or a piece of writing or an image yeah. so i think there is a huge issue with social media do you think this social media uh, has the ubiquitous presence of social media has uh, um, created a, a, a bigger schism between generations i think yeah i think it has definitely um, because also children then sometimes do feel that, oh, well, my parents don't know, my parents don't know, or I aren't able to access these things. So therefore, you know, they're, they're in, uneducated or even um, kind of not knowledgeable about this. So therefore, you know, what, what do they know? And even if their parents will say, actually, you know, this kind of material might not be appropriate for you or you don't do this, then they'll kind of come across, well, how do you, you don't know? Because mm. you never had phones mm. when you were younger. Um, but I think, um, well, the newer generation, we've got millennial parents now, haven't we? So we're, we're actually more and more coming into where parents are aware. Yeah, right. So, so what would you recommend then to, um, to parents listening in today in, in, in terms of um, uh, what allowances they should give to their children around social media? Uh, at what age, at what level is, would, is social media... Um, a, a good media <laughs> yeah I do understand that I think that it, I, I know somebody who used um, my children are still young so I've got a 7 year old and a 5 year old and a 1 year old so I've not really reached that stage yet yeah. but my children will look at my Instagram account and they look at the videos that come up the posts that come up um, we follow the young mom quite closely so um, I mean they are used to social media and they know what it is but I, I would recommend that they should not have any kind of personal account until they are at least they have left school because even even these personal social media accounts affect schooling and affect mm. different kind of issues coming to school and schools having to deal with these things which we have no access to we can't verify anything because we don't follow the students in school so there are massive issues I don't recommend parents giving phones to children really under 16 I personally, if I were to speak about my own, I wouldn't give it till they're 18 um, because because I think wedding present too, here's your phone. <laughs> too, much, too much negative, too much negativity that's around it, and I think that that's just me. That's personally, but I know people that have given it, and 
Well, I don't know. I, I've seen far too many. Um, but I tell you what, you know, this is it, it's it's a much deeper challenge than than we probably even think because it's not just about a phone these days. We got our eight year old no. uh, a Nintendo Lite, uh, which is a, a yes. which is a game console, a smaller one, uh, yes. and. Uh, a lot of the games are have online versions and yes, and she keeps on asking us to give her online access so that she can then be online <laughs> with her friends <laughs> which, which we obviously yeah. resisted but you know it's it it, it is a, and it's a huge challenge because everybody in her school has that everybody in her class yeah. and she's in level four, she's in grade 4 yeah so she yeah. uh, you know can you imagine most of her class fellows have that um uh that feature Facility. and 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 yeah. she doesn't so it's it, it is it's yeah. not about you know a phone anymore it's uh, you know the a it's more. it's a lot uh, the issue is a lot no, deeper it, a, yeah, a phone without this is just say a phone without internet is useless yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. useless I mean, you know phones, <laughs> we did we did give um, her that actually and she threw it away <laughs> even if they don't have phones yeah you're right you know when they go get on the bus to go to school They've got friends. They've got phones. The boss has got free Wi-Fi, yeah, yeah. so they're able to access it. So I think um, it's a good approach to also just to make them aware. As mm. you're using phones, as you're using media, you talk about these issues. Again, my children will often ask. They'll be like, "Oh, why can't we make that Instagram video that so and so have made?" And then you know that ends up being a discussion, and we talk about, "Well, we you know we don't do anything that kind of disgraces our uh, values." Or, you know, there's a lot of dances, you know, to what TikTok does. You've got a lot of challenges out mm. there. And, uh, some of them are bad and some of them do contain vices that we need to stay away from. So, again, it's a, it's a topical discussion and it's something that if we talk to children from a young age, it's like anything else. Um, there's no point of talking to a child about social media when they hit 15 because it's too far and too late. Okay, it needs yeah. to be talked about at a young age because they're obviously using it. Imam Reza, what you say? I, mean, I, I kid you not. Uh, we did give our, a, a, she was seven at that time, a phone, hmm. but we took the SIM out of it and I also disconnected Wi-Fi. <laughs> and she threw it away. She said, what the hell is this? No, 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 it's useless. I'm telling you, it's useless. What are you going to do with it? It's just a brick with a, with a screen. Exactly. That's it. She actually threw it away. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, yeah. No, wonderful. Sister Muflia, Jazakallah, thank you very much for, for, for joining us today. Um, and uh, greatly appreciate you coming on here on to the Draft Time Show. Jazakallah, assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah, assalamu alaikum. It's, I, I think the, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. It's a very, very tricky one. Massive. But I think the last point that, that, that Sister Muflia mentioned is very valid that we need to, you need to speak. What we and this is one of you know you need to have of, a relationship. Yeah, yeah. When 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 you look at these different parenting st- styles, uh, mm-hmm. the, the 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 what is this one? Uh, the authoritative parent. Just well, I've said no, didn't I? Uh, that doesn't work. Yeah, that is that is never going to. Well, it it might have worked uh, two generations or uh, one generation ago, but in, it it's not something that is encouraged. I mean, if you look at, for example, just the 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 example of his holiness what are what are the questions that he hasn't been asked and what are some of the things that and how has he addressed those issues and i think when you look at for example the fourth caliph of the Amity muslim community he 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 was asked everything and he never said that well i just said no didn't i hmm. and even when you go back all the way back to the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him women came to him men came to him children came to him elders came to him young came to him and 
He explained every single thing. Why do you think we have like over 6,000 narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him? Because he addressed every single thing. And when when you have this approach, and I know that for a short period of time, maybe one generation or two generations had to go through this period of, well, religion says no. Blame it on the or blame it on something or anything. Well, it's it's a no. Why? Well, it's a no. You don't need to know. It's a no, and that created problems. You don't want to have children in 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 school where they just say, where they have to find excuses on who to blame it to on. Right? For example, I I remember in Germany at that time um, when I was in school and when I was you know younger than high school, you had. Uh, swimming lessons mm. so you had mixed swimming lessons now the the it's not that only girls were not allowed to go mm. that same rule should have was applied to boys as well mm. Mm. Um, and there was no distinction made mm. but many parents that I found out from from my friends and even you know the, the imam at that time they were facing that predicament that parents simply don't know how to explain it Mm-hmm. And then you have a whole mm-hmm. wrong direction of children going to getting away from mm-hmm. where they should be actually getting closer to. Absolutely, not not getting close to to, to the parents, and then try and find uh, yeah. men- mentors outside the family. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, it's very important to I think yeah, going back to what we're talking about, uh, to befriend your kids, to be to be able to offer them advice and support. And, uh, you know, my wife and I actually have always believed, again, you know, I'm not offering anything as a template, um, uh, just just sharing my experience. And, and um, you know, when in year five, probably, you know, starting even year four, when uh, sex education, for example, yeah. begins yeah. to be discussed in, in, in school. That's a big topic, and, yeah. And, and that will be a challenge very soon for you, uh, <laughs> Imam Reza, as well. So the approach that my wife uh, and I have always had is that, uh, you know, in, in my case, I have three daughters. So it was the wife, actually, who, who yeah. discussed everything yeah. with the children before it was actually discussed in school. That was the only way we found that we could counter the influence outside yeah. um, and and to be able to 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 be able to give them the comfort that listen this is something that you can talk to us about yeah. this is not something out of bounds because believe it or not they will learn that in school and even if they don't learn it in in school from official sources it will, exactly. this society yeah. is just overrun by this yeah. I mean you learn it from your friends you learn it when they have the phone which has a sim card in it mm-hmm. So when we talk about friendship or friends, the notion of friends is something that we want to address here as well. The f- friendship is a relationship between friends, a state of mutual trust and support between. And to some people, friendship means nobody's in charge. Friendship is strictly egalitarian. Neither partner exercises any authority over the other. And if this is what you mean by friendship, then the question seems to be about the effects of permissive no discipline approach or even neglectful parenting. In the Holy Quran in chapter 31, verse 14 and 15, God Almighty states, And remember when Luqman said to his son while exhorting him, O oh my dear son, associate not partners with Allah. Surely associating partners with God is a grievous wrong. And we have enjoined on man concerning his parents, his mother bears him in weakness upon weakness, and his weaning takes two years. Give thanks to me and to thy parents. Unto me is the final return. And 
Look, when, when Islam says, or when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that paradise lies beneath the feet of your mother, it's, you have to earn that. It's not just a given blank statement that, you know, a blank check that even if you don't do anything, just giving birth to a child makes you automatically deserving of that status. No, that's not the case. When you have the examples of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when you have the examples of how he treated children, when you have the examples of the of the caliphs and then the promised Messiah, that patience, that love, that respect that he gave to his children, the attention that he gave mm. to the children, that, you know, the attention that you give to your children mm. and uh, to, to your friends. One example that you mentioned and the other one was, there's so many of them, but I think there's a two or three that stick out in all of these things that not getting annoyed at something that your children are doing all the time. When, uh, you know, again, the the second caliph, when he was quite young, um, uh, when he kept knocking at the door, he kept opening, hmm. he can't, He went outside, he knocked again, he opened the door again. And this this kept happening hmm. over and over again, five, hmm. six, seven times. And for someone, even for us, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, if that would happen to me and if I'm working, I'm busy, I'm mm. writing something or doing some important work, and of course, it's not going to be any, any as important as, as even nearly as important as the work of a prophet. Mm. And your child keeps interrupting you over mm. and over again and you mm. have to get up, open the door, have to get up, open the door. How many of us would last beyond the third knock? Mm. I mean that that that's what it is. So if you have these examples in front of us, if you have these living examples, living proof, and and uh, actually how they have managed and these how they have, really. that that's what it is. Mm. So the parenting book is in front of us. It's the the self help uh, guide. We have it with us. How you apply it again? That's I think what we're trying to say here over and over again. You know best. Be a parent, be a father, be a mother, but that doesn't mean that you cannot be a friend at the same time. Absolutely. And I think one thing that we're coming towards the end of the show that I would like to reiterate is what you said earlier about the importance of prayers. You know, it's mentioned in the Quran because there are no guarantees here. Yeah. There are no guarantees. Whatever it, you do, how much effort you put in here, Quran talks gives us the example of Prophet Noah's son. Yeah. He was a Noah was a prophet, and yet his son was uh, was not a good person, and and therefore you know that example tells us that there are no guarantees um, in 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 this uh, line of uh, 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 of work uh, for what of a better phrase. So um, the only guarantee really is uh, is prayers. Um, yeah. The only thing that you can do is to do your best. Uh, and also pray very hard because that is the only thing that uh, that, that will help you. And we're not saying by by any means that you shouldn't learn from from these from these uh, experts. You shouldn't apply these rules that you uh, read in books or you read in magazines and articles. I mean, every piece of knowledge, every piece of of um, information mm-hmm. is is your lost property. Exactly. Is the lost property of a of uh, of a believer yeah. but in all of this what we're trying to say is that be become the parent that they deserve mm-hmm. i mean yes we have issues we have you know we, you have to put food on the table and sometimes parents will both work mm-hmm. it is a necessity it is the circumstances but i think what his holiness has strength in his hand has said over and over again that you have the teaching that islam has defined the roles 
yes, and you you need to adapt. You need to be flexible when it comes to these things. And certain things, it is the job of the mother. Certain mm-hmm. things, it is the job of the father. But in all of this, at the end of the day, you are a team. You you need to be in you this together. You absolutely are, Imam Samin. But the other thing that I think you've got to understand is is priorities. Sure. You know, yes. Is 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 yes. mortgage absolutely. your priority? Is getting a house a priority? Is getting that next big car your priority? Is, or is yeah. is the is the next big holiday your priority? Or are the kids your priority? Yeah. What is your priority? So you know, if you if you can, if you absolutely know that your next generation is what is your biggest legacy, not the house, not the car, not the holiday, mm. they are not going to survive for very long, or or even be remembered for very long. Um, it's it's really your kids who are your real your real legacy, and if you if you do all the if you if you focus on that, and leave everything else aside, mm. make everything else. Um, um, a lesser priority then uh, and, and pray then hopefully you wouldn't go awry absolutely couldn't agree with you now um, coming to the end of today's program we're just going to go through some of the um, <laughs> I do apologize some of the things that uh, talk about this this topic that we're talking about, meaning uh, parents being friends, there's a few interesting things that I come across. For example, uh, in a recent study uh, of 790 Dutch adolescents, Dutch researchers found that kids who reported sharing secrets with their parents had higher quality relationships and lower rates of delinquencies. Then there was another study which was done by the Swedish. And uh, the Swedish teens uh, specifically, they found that the key to good behavior and family harmony wasn't heavy-handed parental surveillance. It was the child's perception that his parents trusted him. Interesting. So in chapter 3, verse 39, God Almighty has taught us a prayer um, to so that we may be blessed with virtuous offspring. And this is the prayer of Prophet Zechariah. It says that, My Lord, grant me from thyself pure offspring. Surely thou art the hearer of prayer. So again, reiterating the points that some of our guests have mentioned, and we try to uh, give you that as well during the course of this program, we should pray for virtuous progeny as well as act in a virtuous and pious manner. His Holiness has mentioned the example of prayer so many times, and I think two, three weeks ago we spoke about this as well. If you preach to your children all the time that you should do this, you should do that, but don't show that practical example yourself where they see that my parents are praying, where they see that my parents are cleaning up after them, where they see that my parents are helping other people, then to expect that our children will turn into these ideal human beings that we so desire, those chances are slim to none. So if you don't show with your own example that you have a relationship of love, if you have a relationship of trust between each other as parents, then to have that relationship with your children is also maybe not that guaranteed. The prayer of Zechariah, which is mentioned in that chapter it also says that, My Lord, leave me not childless, as thou art the best of inheritors. Since God Almighty has been called the best of inheritors, it is clear from this prayer that one should not pray to be granted offspring that can become you know, the heirs in their worldly affairs, but instead such heirs be granted from God Almighty who give preference to the faith over the world. The desire to have children is a legitimate desire, no doubt about that. But on top of that, 
We must also pray for pious heirs. The promised Messiah in one place states, The trial surrounding children is a great trial indeed. If the children are righteous, then why should one worry? God Almighty himself states, God himself becomes a friend and protector of the righteous. That was mine, my bit. Amazing. Um, absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's not and, what I want to tell you, but <laughs> no, keep going. <laughs> no, that's, um, yeah, I think we, we are coming to the end. Just two, uh, two more minutes uh, remaining. And I, whoever's uh, listening to, to this show live um, uh, and has probably just joined us, I would uh, urge them to listen to the whole show. It's been, it's been an amazing discussion on two very, 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 very pertinent topics. Firstly, about about food um, security, food shortages, um, what can we do, what role we can play, and then the all-important uh, issue of parenting, uh, mm. which is um, which is a huge issue in the in the society these days, uh, especially with uh, with social media. And we've discussed all about that. So, if you haven't been able to listen to the show, please go into SoundCloud and listen to the recording of the show. You will learn a thing or two. Finishing off, we will give you a, uh, a quote from the Promised Messiah, the founder of the MDU Muslim community on whom be peace. He says that, perform those deeds which set the best and perfect example for your children. This is the responsibility of the parents. He also elaborates by saying that that is why it is necessary to first reform oneself. If you become a righteous and temperate individual and strive to please God, then Allah the Almighty will always show benevolence to you and your offspring. In the Holy Quran, the incident of Khizr and Prophet Moses, peace be upon him, is mentioned that together they constructed a wall belonging to a few orphan, orphan children. Referring to this, God Almighty states their father had been a righteous man. The condition of the children themselves was not mentioned, rather the parents were mentioned. And the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, elaborates by saying, Therefore always desire for your progeny to become pious. In return, God Almighty will grant you the means and provision for progress. This was quoted by His Holiness in his Friday sermon on the 14th of July, 2017. At this point, we would like to say thank you very much to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to all of our guests. And thank you to Soma Ahmed, Tayyiba Nasser and Nur Sabah who researched and produced today's program. We'll be back with you on Monday, inshallah. From all of us, have a great weekend. Assalamu alaikum.